You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Ford, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's really an honor to have you on the program today. Hi, Brian. It's great to be with you. It's an honor to be on the program with you for sure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, there is an incredible story that we're going to dig into today that you shared with me. Before we do that, I'd love for you to share a little about yourself, Ford, and your faith journey. Well, Brian, I was born in Paris, Texas. I graduated from high school there, and I went to school at Texas A&M. When I was in high school, I actually was the co-discipleship leader at our church, and my faith was strong. I went on mission trips and even had conversations with my pastor about things that I believed that the Lord had shown me. And in many of those conversations, he would say to me, God doesn't work that way anymore. And so my denomination didn't really have space for the kinds of things that were happening. But over the next few years, as I went to college at, at a pretty large level, I'm not totally, but I moved away from that high faith level, which is not unusual, you know, when we go off to college. But then when I was a senior, I met this beautiful young lady who was a freshman, Sandra. We got married when she was a junior. And so I stayed in College Station, Texas to really let her fulfill one of her bucket list dreams, which is to graduate from there. And I ran a local sporting goods store that I had been the assistant manager of when I was in college. I left that store and managed another store. And when I was there at that one, I got a phone call from the bank asking me or letting me know that they were going to close down our screen printer that they were going bankrupt and that I needed to find another one that could do the printing on our uniforms and jerseys and things like that. And a couple of days later, they called back and asked what I want to take on the debt of that company and own it myself. And I'd never heard the term due diligence. So I said, okay to that, <laughs> you know, on paper, we probably should not have made it. I actually called my mom about six months into it and told her we weren't going to make it. And she told me to go home and pray that night and ask God for direction before I made that decision. And the next morning, woke up with a strategy that we tried. It worked. And over the next nine years, uh, very successful. Some venture capitalists called. And to make a long story short, over a 16-year period, uh, we became the largest decorated sportswear apparel company in America, documented in America in our category, mm. and some say in the world. Uh, with that, there was a lot of pride and arrogance on my part. So the upside is we had a very successful business. I found myself as the CEO of a publicly traded company, which I never had a vision or, or aspired to do. On the upside, had three beautiful daughters during that time, Whitney, Emily, and Quincy. And so they're all a blessing. We now have a son-in-law. You know, Whitney's married to Mark, and we call him our fourth child. He's our son. But on that ride to the top, a lot of arrogance and pride, as I told you, most of that was based on insecurity. You know, I tell people today, if you show me the most arrogant person in the room, I will show you the most insecure. You know, some of that had to do with being sexually abused, you know, as a little boy by a female school teacher. But in in the end, I ended up doing things I swore I would never do. I was unfaithful to my wife. The good news is God pulled me out of that. I told her what I had done. She forgave me. I started a consulting company. It started growing really fast. I got out of that and then started doing city reaching. While I was doing city reaching, one of, and I was doing business consulting kind of as a one-man show to earn income. One of my clients asked me, you know, when you go into companies or when you've bought and owned companies, because 
in our first business, our whole strategy early on was to buy broken companies, fix them, uh, turn them around, put a management team in place, and then go buy another one. And so for years, that was my career. And so as I was doing the city reaching, I, I continued to do business consulting for income. And one of my clients called me in the room one day and asked me, when you've owned companies or consulted with companies, how often do you get these kinds of results? And I said, every time. And he said, then I want to challenge you why you're not using this material to do your city reaching. And I said to him, if, if the leaders that were following me uh, in this transformation movement, uh, specifically at this point in time was Cincinnati, Ohio, I said, if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't follow me. What does that mean? If they really knew who you were, they wouldn't follow you? Well, at that point, Sandra and I had agreed not to share my public, my story publicly. In other words, if they, if they really knew you know, that I had cheated on my wife, if they knew that I was sexually abused and had hidden it. At that point, I hadn't even told her that part. If they knew how angry I was, if they knew my history of yelling at policemen and cussing at referees and umpires, and if they knew my passive aggressive behavior, that I didn't even know what that term was. I was I was raised in a household that was just our lifestyle, but none of them knew that guy. And so my thing was, if these leaders really knew who I really was, if they knew my past, they would never follow me. The president of this company, he encouraged me to bring 30 people into a room and we gave them all a legal pad. And over a six month period, one day a month, just did a leadership brain dump with them around how to use the stuff that we were using in companies in their own companies and their families as parents and marriage, whatever. Used a lot of the things that we had had really unbelievable success with, but I had just as equally unbelievable failures. And so at the end of that, they asked me to do it again and we did it again and again. And eventually that Someone came and said, can I help you build a PowerPoint and put a manual together? And that turned into something called years ago. This was not a term everybody used, but we called it transformational leadership. There's a lot of them out there now. So we, we call ours now TL. And I believe God told me in the summer, actually June of 2000, that if I would let him have this and, and keep my name off of it and just go about his business, that he would take it global. And, and Brian, he's done that. You know, this training now is used in cities and countries and businesses and even governments globally. Mm. And we don't, we don't talk about that much except to give you know, God the honor and the glory because we've never, you know, we really never, never done a lot of marketing or promoting like we did in that old business. I know how to do that. And I, I show other people how to do it. We just never really doing it for this. And, and God has been faithful. And so now we, we have a number of people that, that have joined us. And, and so we now get to continue doing the consulting and we get to do it far beyond just businesses and far beyond just in the United States. So praise God. Absolutely. There's an element here that keeps cropping up in my mind as you're sharing your story, and that is the ability to hear. There is something that you've developed, it sounds like, with respect to hearing God's direction. Can you share a little bit about that, Ford? When I was at my lowest point of brokenness, you know, I was holding a gun in my hand. I was driving to the bridge of the river. I was trying to figure out, you know, how could I kill myself and people not know it was suicide? I believed that the call that God had given me two different times in my life, I had said no to. I now thought, well, what if he wanted me to do something I couldn't now because I'm useless? You know, I've wasted it by doing these things that I swore I would never do. And in the very depths of that, I actually took on the role uh, as the spiritual gifts pastor at our church. And and so if you, I tell people, if you Google the word, you know, CEO, uh, leader, hypocrite, you know, <laughs> my name would probably pop up. But during that time, I, I wrote this program. So the pastor and his wife taught this course. And then he came to me and asked me to teach it with her so he could do something else. 
Well, once I took on the role, I wrote this program where if you came through the class, Anita and I would do a two-on-one interview with you after the class, you with your gifts, not only to use at church, but to use out wherever you made your income or as a parent. Or mm-hmm. So we made the gifts work across whatever sphere in which you lived, worked, or played. And and for them, that was kind of unique because their, their life had all been in the church world. But as we were having these two-on-one meetings, pretty much every time we were having them, we were seeing miracles. And Dale and Anita were pastors at our church for about 11 years. But before that, they had spent 33 years in Cyprus, Israel, and Africa. And so while they had the same denominational background I did, that that had really been undone in them. And so they were telling me that we've never seen prayers answered like God answers them for healing and when you lay hands on and pray for people. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't know is that after every one of those meetings, I would be beating on the steering wheel all the way home, crying before God and saying, what about me? What about me? And so I tell people today that, you know, when Jesus says, you'll, you'll preach in my name, you'll heal in my name, you'll prophesy in my name, and I'll say, I never knew you. That very likely might have been me at one point. And anyway, one day, Dale and Anita came to me and said, could the three of us interview each other? Because we had not gone through the interview process because I wrote it after I took on the role. And it came time for my interview. And Brian, honestly, had I thought about it, I would have said no. I wouldn't have done it. But in my interview, the same thing happened for me that had been happening for everybody else. Uh, God showed up in a way that even they say, I won't go into the detail, but they still say today, I'm still friends with them. You know, after 55 years in Cyprus, Israel, and Africa, in the United States for 11 years, back in Israel, running the house of prayer in Jerusalem for seven years, now back in the United States, last Christmas, they still said, we, we've we not seen God like we saw in that office that day. Mm. But he spoke to me with such clarity. I've asked you two times. I won't be back. This is my last call. And I got up and walked out of there and, and, and shut down that old behavior. I started getting counseling, getting some help. Two years later, really was hearing God's voice in a way that I didn't think possible. I had a, a friend, a, a man who'd become a friend who was a naturopath, homeopath, chiropractor. And when I first went in to see him, I was the mess that I told you about. I'll never forget. I, I actually am the forward in his book. And he laid his hands on me and he told me why I was depressed and he told me how to get over it. But I thought he was a kook. And But he laid his hands on my liver and he said, your, your depression's in your liver. And if we can cleanse your liver, you'll be okay. Hmm. But he said these words to me. He said, did you know that when your body, mind, soul, and spirit are all in alignment, that you can hear God's voice in a way that you never thought possible? And I'm, I'll never forget, I was walking to the car thinking, what a kook. You know, I'm cheating on my wife. I hadn't heard God's voice in years. So this was before that experience in the office. But after that experience, a lot of healing started taking place. I was on all kinds of medicines. And within 90 days, I was off of all the medications, antidepressants, anxiety medication, liver medications, three different rosacea medicines every day. And then all of a sudden, what he had said was true, that when your body, mind, soul, and spirit are all lined up, it's amazing, you know, that we can sense and and hear the voice of God in whatever way he speaks to us, you know, and, and different ones of us hearing different different ways. And, and for me, Brian, this sounds a little bit weird, but normally if I hear something that's atypical, the, the way I would normally think, that's the one I really start saying, God, is that really you? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's not the way I think. And if you want me to do it that way, I'll do it that way. Like 
let you have this material and take it around the world without me doing any marketing. When I know how to do sales and marketing, I've always done that. That's been my career. Yeah. But even today, I tell our team and people that know me, when I get to heaven, I'm going to hear one of two things. It's either going to be, what in the world do you think you heard in the summer of 2000 or well done? And I don't know which one it's going to be for sure, but it's going to be one or the other because I either missed by a mile or or heard pretty clearly. But yeah. and over time, I, I know that God does guide and direct. And I call him, you know, the, the best GPS system in the world, the God patrol system. If we're going down the road and he says, turn right, and we miss it. You know, he's just a good God. He'll say, take the next right, do a U-turn. So it's not like we miss just because we didn't hear exactly right the first time. And so I don't, I don't hear exactly right the first time, every time. Most people, as you know, Brian, all they get to hear is the stories after you get it right. Most people don't hear the, the stories of the intense prayer, sometimes the travailing, sometimes the, the weeping before God of, of looking for that direction. And so they don't get to hear all that background. Mm-hmm. All they say is, wow, look at how that person heard God's voice and look at the outcome. But they may not get to hear all the, the other stories of, of the little misses along the way. So, but we're all human, but God does speak to us and he does direct us. And it sounds like for you, he takes an obtuse angle, a different way of thinking to awaken you that, hey, you might consider this. That's correct. Hmm. And, and that's when we go get wisdom from our, our friends, our, those that we seek wisdom from, that we get them to pray with us and we ask for their counsel. And, and that way, if we're not out there trying to do it alone, you know, it's we're, we are typically in fairly good shape. When we try to do it alone, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Oh, that's such great advice. We so tend to think we can figure it out on our own, don't we? Yes, we do. Share with me the story that you had mentioned that I alluded to in the beginning of this conversation, please. Set it up if you would and tell us what happened. Okay. Well, as I told you, I was doing business consulting, uh, coaching, whatever word you want to use, but really consulting in businesses alongside doing the city reaching work. And a friend of mine and his family called me and asked me to meet with them. And I did. And their company was in a lot of trouble and they needed a turnaround. And they asked me, would I work with them? And I told them a turnaround takes a lot of time. And right now with everything else I had going on, I didn't really have time to do it. And so I told them that I would find someone. And so I went and found a guy that I thought was really good at it. I I got the contract signed and I went and met with the two brothers and the dad and we were at breakfast and I was explaining it to him. And during that, the dad, who was much older, teared up and he looked at me and he, I wish I had his accent so I could make it clear. But he said, Mr. Ford, is there any chance we could talk you into doing this for us? And my heart sank. And then one of the brothers looked at me and he said, Ford, we were talking this morning. We just have a question for you. Have you prayed about this? You know, and in all my humble arrogance, <laughs> I said, come on, man, you know, I pray about everything. <laughs> and then, boom, the spirit just wiped me out right there in that restaurant. And I started crying. I said, but I hadn't prayed about this. I just assumed I didn't have time. And like the Lord just spoke right there at the table, I'll make the time you serve this family. And through the tears, I, I told them, I think God just told me to do it. Well, we went back to their office and they got a phone call from the bank. And the bank told them that they wanted them to use their turnaround experts and that if they didn't use their turnaround experts, that they would take their keys 
they would close them down in seven weeks. And so they hung up and they talked to me and said, what would you do? I said, I would use their guys because seven weeks, this is going to be near impossible. They picked up the phone, called the bank back and said, we've made our decision. Uh, we're going to use Ford Taylor as the turnaround guy. <laughs> and I looked at them, I said, I'm not very, I'm not a very good counsel to you guys if I just told you what to do and you didn't listen. And I said, it's okay. So we called a meeting with the family and, and I told the family, it'll take a miracle. I've turned a lot of companies around. This one is near impossible in seven weeks. And so I'll make a deal with you. I'll give it a shot if you'll make a commitment that every one of you will be on your knees every day asking God for wisdom like we've never had before. And they agreed to do that. And that's what happened. You know, we went in, we, we showed them, you know, how we're going to do this. I didn't have time to teach them how to do it, which is what I like to do when I consult, because we only had seven weeks. I laid out what the game plan was, started evaluating all of their numbers, realized that they were selling product far below the cost to make it. I, I basically stepped in as the interim CEO and I gave them three days a month. And I said, guys, the only way I can do this is is to really really have you guys implement. I'm not a, a guy who likes to tell people what to do. I like to teach people what to do. But right now, I'm just going to have to tell you and we're just going to have to go for it. Then I asked them if they could get us a, a meeting with their largest client. And this is a huge client. If I said the name, pretty much everybody would know who it is. And on the way that we were driving to this client, I asked the, the CFO and the two brothers, do you trust me? And they said, yes, because they wanted to know what I was going to do. And I said, if you trust me, I'm going to ask you not to make me tell you. And they said, okay. I said, because you aren't going to be happy. And so we went in with these executives from this huge company, and and we have this model of how to host a meeting called the Waddle model, uh, which is a welcome, share something good, do an affirmation, uh, ask questions, you know, what do you want to accomplish while we're here? Then we go into the discussion while we're there. Then we empower and launch people to go do what we all agree to. So we're in there using this model. And as we got to the A, one of the executives asked them, who is this guy? What he's doing? What is he doing here? And then they introduced me, and and I said I have some questions for you. And I said, do you want this company in business? Do you need them or want them in business? And they said we do. Why do you ask? And I held up two folders. I said I got one folder here that shows us how to keep them in business, and I got another folder that shows us how to shut them down without disrupting your manufacturing and the product that they make for you. And I just want to know which folder you want to see. Well, you can imagine yeah. the owners going, what did he just say? <laughs> and and the, the execs just looked at me. And I said, so which one do you want me to show you how to close them down or how to keep them open? And they said, we want to help you keep them open. And so I showed them all the price increases, et cetera, we needed. They asked me how I had come up with those prices. I told them, they said, you're one penny off what we pay everybody else. I then asked them, all the money for a rebate that they owed them, could, would they forgive the rebate? And, and they said yes. And so all these things that, that would not necessarily be common practice started happening. Two days later, we found another product. I had to call them back. They gave a price increase on that. We found ways to increase production in ways that they had never been able to do before. So demand started going up. We're now producing things at the price that they could make money. And in that seven-week period, through prayers, God's grace, executives doing things that they normally wouldn't do. That company was about a $20 million company. It wasn't huge, but they went from losing $250,000 a month to making about $250,000 a month mm. with no real increase in sales, but just with the, all, all the operational improvements. But Brian, towards the end of that seven weeks, we found another million-dollar accounting error 
on their balance sheet, which threw them way off of the covenants with the bank. So we got a phone call, even after we thought the company was saved, that the top guy, he's called the turnaround, the the workout guy in a bank. In the workout department, they take bad loans out of the loan department. They put it in the workout department, and they try to work that loan out of the bank. And they'll do that by closing a company down and selling the assets or trying to sell the loan at a discount to someone else. But anyway, so we get a call that the top guy from the workout department nationally is flying into town to meet with us. And so the bank that we had the relationship with, the banker said, you know what this means? He never goes anywhere unless he's going to take the keys. Mm-hmm. And I knew I knew what that meant. So I met with the family again, and I said, do you trust me? I said, because right now, <laughs> I mean, the, this lady right here will tell you this man has never shown up and not taken the keys. And uh, so they come in and we're meeting with them. And after the meeting was just about finished, I asked the family, could I get five minutes with these three guys alone? And they said yes. And From the bank. And I looked at them. And, yeah, from the bank, mm-hmm. from the, the top workout guy and the two guys that were with him. And, and I said, look, I get it. And if you had come in here two months ago, I would have thrown these keys to you. I wouldn't have even argued with you. I said, but look, we've gone from losing 250 to making 250 Well, then they started screaming about the million-dollar balance sheet error. And I said, I know. I said, we found that this week. And and he said, well, the CFO said he resigned. You fired him. I said, no, he resigned. He said, no, you fired him. I said, no, he resigned. I would have fired him, but I didn't get to because he resigned. He knew what was coming. And I looked at him and I said, oh, I have a question for you. It's when we started the meeting, we used that Waddle model again. You know, you've got three kids. You've got two kids. You've got four. You know, we're... We're all hunters and fishermen, and you know we, we got some of the same hobbies, and we learned that in that first 20 minutes together. And I said, just a question. If, if someone were here like you, meeting with you like me, I said, and you knew that you had just, the company was saved. You knew it was going to make it, and they asked you for the keys. Now, you've all got families. There's 350 families out there on that floor that won't have jobs if you take these keys. I said, I'm going to give you the key, but I'm going to ask you to reconsider because we have fixed the company. We will make it profitable. And what we've done in the last seven weeks, we'll be able to do again in the next seven. And I know you don't reconsider, but here's the key. But I'm going to ask you to reconsider. Mm. And he asked me to leave the room. And I went outside and I said, guys, start praying right now. <laughs> and we went back in and they gave the keys back to us. Wow. And and again, if you know anything about turnarounds and workout departments, those kinds of things just don't normally happen. So it really was wisdom and miracle after miracle. But my favorite part, Brian, of the story is during the middle of it, the CEO came to me and he was livid, you know, the, the, the biggest owner. And what he was mad about was that he had never heard from his father, I love you or I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was so angry. And I've told him, anytime you're angry, yell at me, stop yelling at your employees. Matter of fact, early in the turnaround, I went to him and I said, I've noticed that every morning you pray with your team first thing in the morning, and by 10 o'clock, you're yelling at them. And he said, yeah. He said, you want me to stop yelling at them? I said, no, I want you to stop praying with them until you can stop yelling at them Mm. because you don't have any credibility. And he cried, and he stood up and apologized to every employee for all the screaming he had done with them over the years, and he committed to stop. But So he's yelling at me about this thing with his father, and he said, what do I do? And I told him to get his pen out and write this down. And we had this thing called a six-step apology. I said, I want you to go meet with your dad, and I want you to say this to him. Dad, I've not honored and respected you as my father. 
and I've been wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for not honoring and respecting you and hold me accountable for the rest of my life that I will honor and respect you? And then pause and give your dad a chance to answer. And if he doesn't answer, that's okay. Keep going. And then ask your dad, is there anything else that I owe you an apology for or that you want to talk about? And he said, you want me to apologize to my dad? I said, well, have you honored and respected him? He said, no. I said, then yes, I do. And that's it. It takes 30 seconds. Well, he came back and sometimes he comes to our trainings and he tells this story himself. And he said, I got on my knees with my dad and, and I did what you asked me to do. I looked at him and I said, I've not honored and respected you and I've been wrong and I'm sorry. Will you or one day when you can forgive me for not honoring, respecting you and hold me accountable? And he said, dad, is there anything else? And and he paints this picture. He, he shared how his dad took his hands and put it on the back of his head and laid his head in his lap and caressed the back of his head. And for the first time in his life, his dad said to him, I love you. I'm so proud of you. At the next board meeting, the dad came and he went around the room and he told every sibling, every child, how much he loved them and how proud he was of them. And, and so, Brian, people ask me in my careers as we've done turnarounds and help businesses, you know, whatever it is, cities, you know, what's the most important, that they made money or that the family got restored? And I just say, does it have to be either or? Mm-hmm. Why can't it be both? Why does it always either have to be transactional or relational? Mm-hmm. Why can't it be both? And as you know, we wrote a book called Relational. But why can't why can't it be both? But for me, if I had to choose the story about the dad, for me, is far more important than the story about the making money. But I do know that when God shows up, that we do have wisdom. Uh, we do have favor that he gives us. Things do happen that don't normally, they're not common practice. And uh, sometimes that makes us look really smart, but deep down, we really know who's given us the answers. And as long as we can stay in that posture, it is amazing how much God will speak in ways that, that sometimes we may not even realize it's him speaking. The two times you shared in the story, the question you asked, do you trust me? I'm thinking back to the moment you held up those two folders. You said, I'm going to do something, but I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. That idea to hold up those two folders and give those two options to their biggest client. How did that idea come to you, Ford? Well, the, the one thing I've learned over the years, I'm, I'm going I'm to say it this way. It's going to be a little bit different than the track we're on. But smart people like doing business with smart people. And I've watched so many businesses you know, give their product away to big companies on the hopes that they'll get more business at a higher profit margin. Now, I've had this conversation even with the with Alice Walton years ago, mm-hmm. Sam Walton's daughter at Walmart, with the C-suite of Walmart. And so I know that companies know you have to make money to stay in business. And I knew that they would know that this company was selling the product too cheap. And for some reason, they felt like they had to sell it cheap to keep the business. And if they did, then there was, they couldn't stay in business anyway. In other words, if they were going to require them to continue selling those products at that price, then the right answer was to close them down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just is the right answer. If they were going to give us the price increase, then the right answer is to fight to keep them open. And so I, I, I think what God says in his word is to be honest, you know, to be transparent, be vulnerable. And I do believe that, you know, Jesus says, if you'll humble yourself, I'll exalt you. If you exalt yourself, I'll humble you. And, and boy, have I exalted myself and gotten humble before. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know I got that T-shirt. Matter of fact, I made that T-shirt. <laughs> and so we were in the business. But he's faithful to his word. And and I believe going in and being honest 
and direct is really just something that's right out of his word. And as we know, he speaks through his word. And I think that one's a pretty clear speak. And it sounds like when you walk into a situation like that, you are truly yielding. You're not trying to push the result one way or another. Of course, you'd love a certain outcome, but you are truly trusting God to do what he does by speaking the truth. Correct. And that's it. I mean, you know, Jesus is so clear. The truth sets you free. And I just watch so many people, whether it's in business or government or, or, or the classroom. I mean, look what the media is doing to us right now. I mean, it doesn't. And I'm not trying to hammer the media. All I'm saying that we know as believers, the truth sets us free. So why don't we go for the truth and mm. not be drugged into the world's ways? You know, even now, the media, how does it separate the church? Well, it drags us into the two extremes. You know, it drags us extreme left or extreme right. And we don't live there. Mm-hmm. That isn't where we're told to live. We're told to live in the truth and, and in that truth. So I do believe that. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen it over and over in the last 20 years that that, that kind of truth, uh, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of transparency, that God just seems to show up yeah. and, and just do what he does. The freedom in being able to just speak that truth and trust that God is working in the best interest of everybody. What else do you do but hold your palms up and say, here you go, Lord, I'm just going to speak it. That's it. And, and even when I was with the workout, they had said he never has shown up in a company before and not taken the keys. <laughs> but the truth is, would you want someone to do this to your family after it was fixed? Right. See, the truth is, if you'd asked me two months ago, I would have told you, I don't know that it's even possible to fix this company. I mean, I told the family that. I don't know that that's possible. So get on your knees and pray for God's wisdom. Yeah. But now that it's fixed, would you want that? Because reality is the company was worth more closed than it was open to the bank. They could have sold the assets and gotten all their money back. And they knew that. Yet still, you know, the the truth is God still pricks hearts, even in people who might not know him. Yeah. He still can prick their heart. And maybe and God may knew these people. That I didn't say were they believers or not. I don't even know. But I do know that his truth still pricked their hearts in a way that they said, let's give it 30 more days. And they did. And we were able to do it by the grace of God. So, yeah, vulnerability, transparency, truth. It's just God's way of doing business and so counter to the world's way. One of the things that you say, Ford, is being able to see that work is worship. Could you explain that? Yeah, this is one of my favorite subjects. You know, a lot of people don't know that in Hebrew, the same root word for work is the same root word for worship. And the first time that the word was used for singing and dancing was, you know, after Moses and Marion and they all crossed the sea and and then the water drowned the army that came after them. But up until that time, that root word was worship me by working the garden, by taking care of the cattle, by taking care of the earth. That was worship. Okay. But at some point, we turn the word into an event. You know, a, a lot of people, probably listeners on your show, know what Romans 12 2 says. It says, be transformed by changing the way you think, by the renewing of the mind. You know, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by changing the way you think so that you can know the perfect, acceptable, pleasing will of God. But a lot of people don't know what Roman 12.1 says. It says, therefore, that your whole body be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so 
I can show you many places in the Bible where it talks about basically everything we do is worship. Mm. You know, how we do our emails, how we drive our cars, how we treat our children, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our employees, our bosses. I mean, just because, see, 3% approximately of the body of Jesus Christ gets uh, vocational income from the traditional missions, ministry, uh, pastoral world. And 97% of us get our vocational income in some other sphere in the workplace, whether it's, you know, in business, stay-at-home mom and dad, school teacher, government, actor, athlete. But most of us get our our income, 97% of us, in some other sphere. But because we've made up terms that aren't in the Bible, like lay people, the, the Greek word is actually saint. It's not layperson. But because we, we got this chasm that we say come to church and worship and then go out and do everything else. And so, you know, we've, we've now taught thousands and thousands of pastors. We've planted lots of churches with our material in other countries, this TL material, and teaching them to launch your congregation to go worship in their work, mm. that it's not. And, and just to touch on that, and some of your listeners probably know this, but, you know, 115 times in the New Testament, the word ecclesia or ecclesia is used in Greek. It's a Greek word that was adopted by the Roman Empire. And the definition of that word is assembly of decision makers. Well, 112 times when that word ecclesia is translated into English, they use the word church. Three times they use the word assembly. I'll give you an example. And so the Roman Empire, for example, what they would do is they would send an army, and they would go conquer another city or country. And then the Roman emperor, he would take his apostles, that's what they were called, governmental authority in the marketplace, that's the definition, Greek terms, you know, they spoke in Greek in the New Testament, and the Roman Empire adopted a lot of those. And so he would take apostles, education, government, arts, entertainment, And he would send them into the city that they conquered, and they would take the ecclesia, the group of decision makers, and they would put them in these new cities, and they would put the Roman culture there. Mm -hmm. So think about this. So when the kingdom came, his will would be done there as it was in Rome. So Jesus understood how he was talking, and most of us have, have never really studied what was taking place in the first century to understand better what Jesus was saying. But here's my favorite place, is is when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, I believe you are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, based on that knowledge, you couldn't have known that unless the Father showed you, but based on that knowledge, I will build my, now remember, I will build my culture, okay? And I want you to take my culture. See, he couldn't have meant local church. They didn't exist back then. So he couldn't have meant that but I will take my culture, okay, and we will permeate it across the earth, and, and everybody back then would have knew, would have known what he meant. Now, the three times that he uses the word assembly are all in Acts. The rest of the time when the word is church, it's in the others. It's amazing to me that when they use assembly, that's where all the miracles took place. Now, I am a huge fan of the local church. I want you to hear that. I I work with thousands of pastors. I'm a huge fan. So do not hear me hammering the local church. What I'm trying to say is 
I believe it's the local church's job to train the ecclesia how to go out and worship as the ecclesia mm. in the culture. In other words, take this culture of love, forgiveness, peace, patience, hope, joy, goodness, meekness, gentleness, understanding God's power, his authority, his honor, his glory. Take this with you out on Monday morning when you're coaching your kids, when you're working. And I believe that's the true definition of worship and the true definition of the ecclesia, that we are the ecclesia. We do go to a building to get some teaching, training, and equipping, some celebration. But man, where does it happen? It happens in the other 80 hours a week that we're out away from that building, not just in that building. Yeah, absolutely. That is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. What is the biggest, most consistent piece of advice that you tend to share with your consulting clients? Wow, that's a big one. Can I give you two or three? Sure. One is is I tell them to be sure that they have a, a consistent common language and playbook for their culture. In other words, have certain things that when you say them, everybody knows it. And there's some and there's some playbook words that we give them, for example, how to do discipline, how to resolve conflict, how the brain works. In other words, that everybody in the company knows when you use these words. They're all talking about the same thing. Mm. So number one is a consistent playbook with culture. Number two is that there is a an agreed upon, motivational, inspirational, practical, and implementable vision. We call that a VP Mosin, VP, VPMOSA, a vision with a purpose, a mission, objectives, strategies, and action plans. And so if you have a culture with a consistent language and everybody's bought into a vision and pulling on the rope in the same direction, it only takes three to five percent of any organization. And I call an organization anytime two or more people are in relationship. So that could be a family, but we're talking about business right now. So it only takes three to five percent of your people to completely shift the culture and race towards a common vision if they're in agreement on it and they have a common language to get there. And so that's the first two things we try to teach them. And then from that, we do a lot of things underneath that. Uh, and then we tell them that when you're looking for employees, look for grit and humility. You know, people that have drive and they're humble enough. And, and the way we say that one is to learn to give up your need to be right without losing your passion for truth. And so if we can get them to do those few things and get their team going the same direction, it's amazing how successful organizations can be because this one's critical, is that leadership is not about a job or a position. It's about influence. And so we, we can influence up to our boss, to our parents, to our coach. Uh, we can influence across. That's to our peers, our neighbors, our coworkers, the teams that we're on. We can influence down. That would be our children, our employees, the teams we coach. But one level of influence people forget about is we have influence with ourselves. And so we teach the leadership team and the employees how to have influence in all four of those areas. And then on this podcast, we can talk about the fifth one. We have influence with God. And when we understand that leadership is about influence, it's not about control. It's not about authority. It's about responsibility. Now, everybody in the organization can take on their role as a leader, as an influencer, no matter where they are within that organization. How do you scan somebody for grit and humility? Well, one of the things that we do is we actually show the organizations how to hire the right people 
so they don't have as many problems on the back end. And that's too long to get into on right now. Sure. But, but once we show them that, we say, okay, now that we know that's who you want, let us show you how to write interview questions mm. that people have not been trained in high school or college how to answer. <laughs> so we invert the questions to where, you know, people really can't get out of them without answering them honestly. And so we, we position the questions to find out, do they have grit? Did you ever play sports? Did you ever quit a sports team? What caused you to quit? You know, so little things. Were you ever in a relationship that you walked out on? In other words, and there's nothing wrong if the answer is yes, I quit. But let's find out why you quit. You know, did, mm-hmm. well, it was a sports injury. Well, if you had an injury, that didn't mean you don't have grit. <laughs> that means you got injured. Sure. So we ask questions in a way to find out. You know, we'll, we'll say, was there ever a time in your life that you didn't tell the truth? Mm-hmm. And if they say, no, nope, never was a time, we're pretty sure they're not honest. <laughs> because what we want to find out is how did you deal with it? You know, not that you did it, but how did you deal with it? Did you humble yourself? How would you deal with it next time? And so we just ask very specific questions uh, because yeah, it's hard to profile, do a personality profile to find those things out. As we finish up here, is there any final thought you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. You know, if, if by some chance you happen to be in a tough spot right now, you know, with COVID and shutdowns and all the confusion, your relationships are far more important than money. They're more important than being right. Your life is important. If you're thinking that it's not worth it anymore, go get some help. I've been there. I've had the gun in my hand. You know, God can pull you out of this. You are not alone. You're not the only one who's been there. Don't be afraid to to go ask for help. If people tell you, find Jesus and pull your bootstraps up, that just means they don't understand. That means they've not been where you've been. And don't be mad at them. Don't be separated from your friends and family over where the virus came from, whether to take the shot or not. You know, don't don't let those things separate you. Those relationships can't be replaced. You can replace money. You can replace houses. But, but don't let the media, don't let the social media, don't let the government pull you away from your loved ones. Just don't do it. Stay in the game. The thing I share on my podcast is that we have to learn to love, influence, and transform. I call it let's get lit. Learn to forgive. Learn to love. Your influence goes up. And stay in those relationships. They are super valuable. How can people find out more about you, Ford? Well, we have a number of different places. We have a consulting company that the website is called transformlead.com. Last year, when COVID shut us down, uh, for the first time, I built a personal website and started doing podcasts because people were saying, we still want to hear from you, but we couldn't travel to them. Uh, That's called fordtaylortalks.com. And then we have an online platform where people can get our training. That's called TL, like transformation leadership, tlondemand.com. And then the most recent book that we get told a lot that from a lot of people, it helps. Uh, it's called Relational Leadership. It talks about when relationships and transactions collide, but it's R-E-L-A-C-T-I-O-N-A-L, Relational, which in hard copy as well as audio. So that's just a few ways to, to get to us or find out more about the material in any way that we might be able to help people. Sounds great. As we finish here, could you please pray for our listeners, Ford? Absolutely. Thanks. Father, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. Jesus, we adore you. We exalt your name, Jesus, 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 Yeshua, 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 above all names. Father, that the breath of your spirit would blow across the airways right now, 
and that every person listening would get whatever message today that you wanted to get, that it would come straight from your throne room, a word of encouragement, of wisdom, of counsel, whatever it is, that each person would have their own designed message that they know that it came straight from you, that they would only hear what you wanted them to hear today. Father, thank you for making each one of us, each one of your children. Thank you for making us your children. Continue to teach us to love and forgive unconditionally. Give us the courage to be humble, the humility to be courageous. Fill us with your wisdom, discernment, knowledge, and understanding. Give us an insatiable thirst, an uncontrollable hunger for you, your word, and your ways, that we truly would be walking, breathing instruments of your love, grace, mercy, truth, justice, and righteousness. Change us any way you want. Wash us clean of every sin. Let us be the answer to your prayer, Jesus, that we could walk together with others and show others how to walk together as one, as you and the Father are one, and the world would know that he sent you and that you sent us, and that every day this week, that each one of us might be the answer to someone else's prayer, that we would be the miracle that you would use in someone else's life to draw them closer to you or to find your son. And somehow, as we lay our heads down tonight, that Jesus, we might be just a little bit more like you than we were this morning. And tomorrow morning, wake up a little bit more like you than we are tonight. And Father, I ask your special blessing on Brian and his family as he does this work, as they walk together in unity as a family in his work, in his ministry. Because you say in that place, you command your blessing. And I ask that you continue to command your blessing in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, relationally, in every way. Thank you for hearing every prayer. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. And we ask these things in the name of Yahweh, in the mighty name of Yeshua, and in the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ford. Loved the conversation. I sincerely appreciate it. Ryan, thank you so much. You're such a blessing. Thank you for all you do for so many people. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.